get an inheritance that is legally binding. And if you know anything about the law or anything like that, when things become legally binding, there's things that cannot be done with them, which is, for us, that's great when it talks about our inheritance. And if you remember from this morning uh, that we talked about, of course, our inheritance, it's in Christ Jesus. The inheritance that we have for us that is in heaven and in Christ is eternal life. It can't be, uh, it can't be uh, gotten to. Nobody can get to it. It's in heaven to take it away from us. And we saw this morning about that, that, uh, that guy that hit jackpot, Mr. Wang. And uh, he had hit jackpot there. He got the will, that billion-dollar inheritance from that um, uh, Mrs. Wang. Mrs. Wang, that's what it was. Nina. Nina Wang gave up her inheritance to Mr. Chang. <laughs> I got to get these all together here. And because she was wanting to buy eternal life. And uh, my grandmother said to us one time, probably in the late 1990s, no, or early 1990s, she's, oh, poor thing. Bless her heart. She was crippled for, is, I never knew her not really crippled up. And she had a great sense of humor. And she said, how do you think I can get a hold of that Kevorkian fella to buy some of that suicide? Remember when Dr. Kevorkian was a, yeah, she, was a, she wasn't worried about uh, living eternally. She wanted off this place. She said, uh, every time a friend died, she said, taint fair, they get to go to glory before me. She was literally upset about it when her friends got to die before she did. And uh, I tell you, this lady, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Wang, though, she wanted eternal life and got three days into it and died. Three years into it and died. And this guy got her inheritance. And uh, pretty, pretty good deal for him. And, uh, you know, there are Christian groups out there, and I use that term loosely, um, I believe there are some that are that are no doubt born again. They put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've come along and have been taught some terrible doctrine, and they've latched on to it. And some come out of that and realize the error of it. And uh, and uh, there are some Christian groups out there though that are operating that teach that this inheritance can be taken away. Either God can take it away, or you can send it away, or some of them will say you can walk away from it. I've heard some people say that, well, I don't think God can, they, they try to come down the middle of the road. I don't think God would really take away the salvation, but if you really wanted to walk away, I think you could walk away from it. Friend, if you've ever tasted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to walk away. If the, if the God of heaven lives in you, can you imagine walking away from that? I can't imagine that. Oh, I, listen, I know we have dark times. I know we have deep times. I know we have times when we wonder if God's even there. We wonder where he's at. I know, I, I understand that. But a child of God, born again of the Spirit of God, with a spirit made alive to say, I'm done with this. I don't know how you do that, really, with a live spirit. Who's going to kill the spirit that got made alive? You ever thought of that? It would have to die again. And actually, if you look in the Word of God, there, if that were possible... There's no remedy in the word of God for a spirit that was alive, then was made dead again to be made alive again. I don't see where you do that. Actually, in Hebrews, if you want to go there sometime, it says it's impossible for those who are once enlightened. If you want to, if you want to go that route, I don't, that's not what it's necessarily talking about. He says it's impossible for them who are once enlightened to restore them again unto repentance because you'd crucify Christ afresh. You know what that would mean? The, 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 crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, the atoning blood of Jesus wasn't sufficient for you to keep your salvation. 
And what would have to happen if you send it away, well, you're going to have to find another sacrifice because Jesus wasn't enough. Who's going to do it? Muhammad? He ain't doing it, right? Yeah. It creates some real, pro- real problems, not just problems that we can come up with, biblical problems about losing your salvation. And they say that you can do this. And I think there's some reasons why people believe this false doctrine. Some of it, they're, they're just sadly, they're taught this. I, I'm not, I don't endorse by any means Charles Stanley, but he talked about as a boy growing up uh, in a Pentecostal background. He got saved as a 12-year-old boy. And he said, every week I'd go to the altar to get my salvation back. And he said, something in the depths of my soul told me this isn't right. And God led him out of that, right? Amen. Listen, I, I'm, you know, that's, that's what the, the Spirit of God does, right? And, and, I, and I think there's reasons why people believe this. The false doctrine, I think, sometimes is believed just to control people. You know, it's amazing how good people can act when you can tell them, you do that, you'll go to hell. No, I, I, I knew a family. I mean, this, they, they went to school with our kids, and, and they're, they're a sweet family. But the, the, the boy was just paranoid. What if, I mean, drove under the speed limit. I mean, was so careful about everything he did. Because what if he did something wrong and got in a car wreck and and he had lost his salvation in between the car wreck and now he's in hell. What a way to live. I mean, that's just, that's control, number one. Sometimes people do that, control you. Sometimes another side of that control is, is the breeding of fear, right? And the people say, well, I tell you what, that group over there, they've not let down their standard. They're, they're still dressing right and talking right and acting right and going out and doing this. Well, sure, they're, they may go to hell if they don't. I, I would rather somebody live like that because they have a heart and desire for God and love God than I would somebody totally controlled by fear and afraid that they're going to lose their salvation. This is what some of it does. Yeah, Try to get them to live a holy life. You've heard, I mean, you can, you can go online and hear it all over the place. You do this and you'll go to hell. You do that and you'll go to hell. You do this, you'll go to hell. Oh, yeah, boy, I'm going to be careful. Yeah. Control. Yeah, thousands of people in the church. Yeah, of course. They might go to hell if they don't. I'm, hey, maybe I try that. Write that one down. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that many of these groups that teach that you can lose your salvation. Have you ever noticed this? Many of them just end up redefining what sin is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like they don't live any different lives. They've just redefined sin. And now for some reason, their sin isn't bad enough for them to lose their salvation. I asked a man one time, I said, well, well tell me this. It was, there was a guy at our house last summer, Church of Christ. I didn't know they thought you could lose your salvation, but they do. And a Church of Christ fellow, I said, well, where do you draw the line? I said, you cuss, you smoke, you chew tobacco, you listen to rock music. Where do you draw the line? I said, the Bible says Lot's righteous soul, righteous soul vexed him daily while he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Where do you draw the line? David committed adultery. David murdered a guy and he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, not my salvation, the joy of it. Where do you draw the line? And I said, and if you have crossed the line, how do you know? And if, according to, if you want to go that route, if you've crossed the line, you're done anyway, so what do you care? I mean, you might as well just live it up. You're going to hell. I mean, no, listen, if we logically and biblically go through this, it poses a lot of problems. And a lot of these people that believe they can lose their salvation, they really don't always live much differently than others. You ever been around the Amish? People think they're wonderful people. Oh, they're just as vile as anybody else. Yeah, they absolutely are. 
And so within the inheritance, we're talking about eternal security. Within the inheritance alone is the foundation of our, of our security. What is the foundation of our security? Eternal life. Eternality. What is eternality? It is not time without end. It is, out, it is, it is outside of time. Because time is created. God created time. Yeah. And he is outside of time. So what is eternality? No beginning, no ending. It is outside of time. Wait a minute. If we have eternal life, the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that is life without beginning and without ending. The inheritance alone is the foundation of security. It can't go away. It can't end. It has no beginning or ending. How do you, listen, let me ask you this. How do you stop something that has no beginning or ending anyway? Do you just pick a point and cut it? Okay, we'll cut it here. I mean, I, I mean I, how do you do that? How do you, how do you stop something that has no beginning or end? I know, I, mean, it's, I'm, I don't mean to fry your brain on January 1st, Sunday night, okay? I, I like this stuff, and I'm sorry, I, hopefully I don't... I don't make you the smoke start going. And I like when a brain smokes once in a while. And uh, sometimes it's just for other reasons. But no, but they, they, these, are, these are pretty interesting things. See, the moment of the Holy Spirit of God moves into your soul. And God's life makes your spirit live again. That's what's going on. The Holy Spirit of God is moving in and the life of God, which is the eternal life, has made your life alive again. Your spirit now has everlasting life because it's God's life that is in you. It is God's life that has made you alive. And if something classified as everlasting ever comes to an end, what was given to you wasn't everlasting and, it's, and God lied. How many think God can lie? Neil raised his hand. We'll talk to him later. No, he didn't. God can't lie, amen? Boy, I, I, that's a wonderful thought. What, listen, eat, what eternality is security. That is security. We have eternal life. But what, here's what I want to get to tonight. And really, I've just got two points again. It's going to be a real short one, maybe. Although I just said about 25 thousand words that wasn't in my notes uh god left us something else though not just the fact of eternality god has left us something else that assures us that the transaction that took place the day we received christ it assures us that it's forever it's forever i want you to take your mind back you can go back even to genesis 15 if you want to but I, if, if you don't go back there, take your mind back to Genesis 15. I want you to think about and remember the covenant that God made with Abraham. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something here. Genesis 15. Remember God had promised Abraham a son. He hasn't had a son yet. He is uh, childless. Uh, Sarah is childless. There is only one male possible heir in the family. One of the servants, Eleazar. And uh, 
And, uh, but God gave a promise in chapter 15. Look at verse 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels, he shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So if you see this here, God has promised him a lineage and he's promised him a land. Here he is, verse 9. And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. That word deep sleep, it means a deep sleep, but also a trance. He kind of went into this trance state, something, it just fell over him. And it says, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon them. Anybody ever pass out? You ever get right there and you're like, no, no, no. (laughs) It's like this horror of darkness. It's like, you don't want to pass out, right? It's kind of, it's just a weird feeling. Uh, You know, it's kind of kind of falls in line here with the, this deep sleep that he fell upon Abram. And it said, and he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them four hundred years. That's the prophecy of the bondage of Israel in Egypt. And also that nations whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now listen to verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt and the great river, the river Euphrates. And I don't have a lot of time to explain covenants. We've gone through this before when we, when we are preaching through Genesis on covenants. The word covenant literally means cut, to make a cutting. And remember the old westerns when they'd cut each other and they'd make a blood oath and a covenant like this. This is really what's going on. God had them cut the animals in half and watch this. The, 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 the smoking furnace and the burning lamp passed between that sacrifice. A covenant was made. Hold on a minute. Abram was in a deep trance. Abram was out. He was not in, Abram was not involved in this covenant. It was God. It was God the Father and God the Son that made this covenant with Abraham. It was a covenant. Watch this. The covenant wasn't for God. Does God really need to make a covenant for him to keep his word? Nope. (laughs) He can't lie. The covenant was for Abraham. 
The covenant, because God is kind, because he knows who we are, and we know he knows what we're but dust. He knows our frailties. He made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, flip over to, Gen, uh, to Hebrews chapter 6, all the way towards the back. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 13. For when God had made promise to Abraham, because he could swear no by no greater. Now, if you have a chance, you can underline this or whatever. He swear by himself. Wait, there's the, the furnace and the lamp, right? I think that's what it was. Walking between the divided animals. And he says here in Hebrews that God swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after that he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. God didn't need an oath. Man needed an oath. Man needed assurance. Look at verse 18. That by two mutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope, lay hold upon the hope set before us. In Hebrews 6, it says that this is, he talks about our consolation. He says here that God can't lie. And God here made a contract between Abraham, but, but I'm sorry, not between Abraham, but between himself. Why? Because God is immutable. He is unchangeable. He can't lie. He is holy. He is light and not darkness. He can never make an error. He can never say a wrong thing. The covenants God makes with his people are not for him. They're for us. They're for our assurance. They are to help us. Now, as we move along here, God gives us assurance here in Ephesians chapter 1. I went through Genesis and Hebrews just to show you that God, God makes covenants to help us out. Yeah. And if you notice Ephesians chapter 1, I can get back to the text one of these days here. Ephesians chapter 1, we have an inheritance. We saw this already. It's legally binding right now. It will be realized when we die. I mean, it's ours. It can't change. But we'll be living when this, when this earth suit falls off, when this carcass goes into the ground, we're, we're going to be free from it and we'll be living in our inheritance unhindered by human flesh. We'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be wonderful. It's, it's, legally, it's a legally binding contract. Now, normally, all, most contracts, many contracts, are made binding by something of monetary value. Money, or if you live in Africa and you want to get married, animals. A dowry. Right? Oh, you want to marry my daughter? You, well, it's going to cost three goats, two cows, and five chickens. 
okay. And they go off and they raid a village and they, no, I'm kidding. Uh, they, they, <laughs> anyway, they, they get the dowry one way or the other, right? And uh, they're binding. They, they're of some monetary value. Something is put in there. The binding aspect of the contracts, it, what, what it does is it keeps the buyer from backing out. It helps them to stay engaged in it. If, if you buy a car, you know, a lot of times they'll sign a contract, but they, they, they'd like some money down. Especially even if you go through financing, you may have good credit. And they're like, uh, can you put a little bit, some, little bit down, you know? Yeah. But the bigger thing is, those who are acquainted with real estate... <clears throat> is when you buy real estate. Real estate. They'll, you'll sign a contract and they'll want some earnest money. Earnest money. Yeah. $500, $1,000. Our house that we sold last year or two years, was that two years ago? Oh boy. That whatever it was. They put $5,000 earnest money down. I said, they're not going anywhere. I kind of hope they do, because <laughs> we'll have $5,000 and we can list it again. That'd be great. <laughs> they didn't. They bought it, right? And, and that's what it's doing, because they're, they're, they're keeping the buyer, the buyer saying, no, I want this. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not plunking down five grand and walking away from it. You know, why, why they do this is because usually there's longer periods of time uh, between uh, the signing of the contract and the taking ownership of the possession, you can have 30 days, you can have 45 days, 60 days. Sometimes a, a buyer or seller, they may negotiate, I guess it's possible. Can you go 90 days? I guess you could go 90 days. But listen, that's a lot, that's a lot of time to have something go wrong. When I was in sales, the saying was, you know, uh, uh, you know time kills deals. Why? Because you got to close them when they're hot, when the people want to buy, when they're ready to plunk down the money. You start waiting Boy, all sorts of things come up. Kid gets sick, car gets in a wreck, this happens, money goes somewhere. They're like, yeah, we're, no, we're not interested. <clears throat> Should have closed that, right? Well, this is what you talk about real estate. I mean, time can go 30, 45, 60, 90 days going on. So what they do, they say, no, you're going to put money down to make sure you don't walk away from this. Right? Because while we're waiting for the title searches and all of these things, buyers are looking at other houses and not yours because it's off the market. And you can lose buyers unless you have contingencies and things like that. But the, but the thing is, the larger the earnest money, the better. Makes you a little more secure. Yeah. If you're selling a $100,000 home and they put $10,000 down, you're like, yeah, that's good. That's a good, that, that's a good earnest money. That makes you feel a little more secure. And they say, tell you what, we, we'd like to go 90 days, but we'll put 15000 on earnest. Okay, cool. I don't think anybody's ever done that on a 100000 but if they did, you know how, you know how secure, no, don't miss this word. Do you know how secure you would feel if you had that much of an earnest money down on that worthless of a possession? Could you imagine them coming up and they, and you might have a, you know, we used to, you know, all I know is really Aurora and you go north of Aurora and you have these nice little houses on the north side of town and you used to be able to get them for like 25,000 bucks, you know. And have, could you imagine somebody coming in for a $25,000 home putting $5,000 earnest money down? I mean, that'd be, it'd be ridiculous. It'd be, I mean, it's what, a fourth of the home. But you know what that buyer's doing? He's feeling very secure. Because it's a really big earnest money for a, for a lower value of a place. So, 
there's a good thing to have a large earnest. There's another thing here, though. There are consequences for backing out. Try to keep all these in your mind, if you would. There's consequences for backing out. You might get a lawsuit. You know, somebody say, hey, you're con- contractually ob- obligated. And uh, had that happen with a customer not too, a uh, couple years back, and, and uh, right in the middle, they had issued purchase orders, and, and, which are contractual, a purchase order is contractual. And they, uh, halfway through, they started thinking they may have to back out. And, and I called somebody's relative in here, and we discussed it a little bit. And uh, they said letters can be sent out and all sorts of things. Why? This was a contractual obligation. Didn't have to do that, thankfully. But no, what, you know, if you break contract, lawsuits can come. You can lose your earnest money. Yep, you can lose your earnest money. Who gets the money when you lose the earnest money? Don't miss this, please. The seller loses the money. I mean, the seller gets the money. The buyer loses it. Oh, I, man, my brain. The buyer loses it. The seller gets it. I sold a piece of property we had back in 2000. 12. Bought it in 08. Bad, bad purchase. Remember the housing bubble, the big boosh, and everything went down? Yeah, that's how I roll. I bought property right then. And it was a bad, bad, bad purchase. About five years later, sold it. And uh, well, uh, the first thing we had was a lease to purchase. And this individual came in. They went, it was 40 acres just south of Aurora. They, they wanted to put their cows out there for a year. And they wanted to lease it from me and buy it in a year. So we came up with the lease possess- purchase price. It was a good price. We came up with the down payment, uh, the rent fee for the cattle, and a non-refund, all of it non-refundable. And uh, in a year's time, she'd have all of her financing together, and they would purchase it. Well, in a year's time, they walked away. And I thought, I want to do this again. Best money ever made on that place. <laughs> and uh, never got another one. But uh, no, the, what happens? The buyer walks away, and the seller gets the money. Yeah. Well, God put an earnest payment down on us. Look at verse 13 in our text. You didn't think we were going to get there, did you? In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed, here it is, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the possess- purchased possession under the praise of His glory. <clears throat> you notice the order here. Verse 13 we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Verse 14, the, the Holy Spirit is the earnest. So what is a seal? Well, especially in ancient times, not the thing that swims in the ocean, but in the ancient times, a king would make laws and a king would proclaim edicts and things like that that would go out and they would have a ring and on that ring it would have an emblem it had by some type of a engraving that belonged to him alone it was his authority it was his <clears throat> it was his uh, binding seal it was it was a legal thing to have that ring he didn't just pull it off and give it to anybody it was protected and that seal he would have a document maybe written up and as you know, they would take that, that uh, 
whatever it might be, they would roll it up like a scroll, they'd put wax on it, he would stamp that thing with this ring. And the moment he stamped that seal, it was a seal, the moment that thing was stamped, it was legally binding. It was law. Remember this, this term, the law of the Medes and the Persians? The unalterable law of the Medes and the Persians? This is what a seal is. Let me give you a couple examples. First King 21 and verse 8. Remember that, that woman Jezebel? He says, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name. This was all about Naboth. Naboth, they said, hey, let, let me buy your vineyard. No, not selling it. Why? Uh, God said not to. So Jezebel came along and said, well, we'll fix you. So she wrote letters to the elders and the nobles that were in the city dwelling at Naboth, right? And she made up all these wild accusations against Naboth. And she said, well, he blasphemed the king and he blasphemed God. And it says here that so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She usurped his authority, took that ring and sealed it with his seal. Now that document was legally binding. You say, well, well, Ahab didn't stamp it. Yeah, but his seal was still used. The moment that, that seal was law. It was law. Over in Esther chapter 8, remember Esther has come in uh, to King Ahasuerus and Haman has had all this plan to, to uh, kill all of the Jews and Mordecai knows about it and, and uh, as we know the plot, uh, the, the whole thing unfolds and, and Haman gets found out, he gets strung up on the gallows, Mordecai becomes a kind of second in command, Ahasuerus gives Mordecai his ring and now there was a law that was already written under Haman that all the Jews on a certain day were supposed to be killed. And it was sealed with his ring and it was unalterable. The law of the Medes and the Persians, it was unalterable. But what Ahasuerus did uh, to get around that, he couldn't stop the law. But he let Haman write another law that said, you Jews, you can defend yourself. If anybody comes after you, you can kill them. And you know what Ahasuerus did? He gave his ring, his seal, to, Haman, uh, to Mordecai, Mordecai sealed that and the letters went out all over the provinces, the 127 provinces of, of, of Persia there. And uh, the Jews were spared a seal. It's a legal transaction. It can't be altered. Today, seals are still used. The seal of the United States, if you see the seal of the United States, it is a, more of a legal document. The seal of the state of Missouri, they may put it on a letterhead. Okay, that's kind of a seal, okay? It's kind of is. But what about a notary? How many of you ever gone to a notary? Had to get, a, you know, maybe a title, maybe some paperwork, documents, contracts, notarized. You go to the bank, wherever you might go. And back in the day, it was really, I kind of bummed out. They, they're like, they're stamps now. They're not seals. Remember the big metal things they'd pull out? And they would, it would emboss the paper with that. That, that, that was a seal. And what it do? It made that document legal. There was a legal witness that verified the signature. Now it's a legal document. On our engineering for the property over here, you know what's on there? The seal of the engineer. He has stamped that. That's why we pay all the money for the engineers. That stamp, that seal, it's a legal document. He has signed his document. All of his work that he has done, he has put a seal on it and says, that's my work. And you know why we pay all the money for it? Because if something goes wrong and we did it according to what he said, well, he's paying for it, not us. Good money spent. And so, but that's a seal. That is a seal. It, it was a designed image created by the owner that tells you who owns the seal. It tells you who owns it. 
It's a mark of authority. It marks a document. It marks a contract. It marks an edict as legally binding. A seal makes a contract irreversible. Right? Remember Mordecai, he had to write a new law. He couldn't reverse, uh, Ahasuerus couldn't reverse the old law. Mordecai had to come in and write a new law to go over that law. Watch this, please. I know I've given you a lot of stuff here. When God redeemed us, He did not fully receive His possession. He does not fully receive what He purchased until we die. Some get saved at 10 or 5. Live to be 80 and 90. God is waiting 70 years for some of His purchases. Oh, I know in the realm of eternity what's 70 years. But there's still some time involved. Sometimes He waits a year. Sometimes he waits 50 years and 70 years and 80 years. So in the meantime, watch what God did. Not for him, but for us. God needs no contract. God doesn't need anything to help him to remember what he bought. It's like, uh, I mean, what's the Holy Spirit like? uh, God, don't you remember you bought them? Well, I forgot about that. No, you did. Are you sure? Yes. I don't remember. Well, you did. Of course he remembers, right? It's not for him, it's for us. It's for us. So what does he do? Verse 14. It's the earnest of our... God put down an earnest payment on the contract. Now, now don't miss this. Who is the earnest? The Holy Spirit of God. Who is the seal? The Holy Spirit of God. (laughs) Wait, God took his stamp and stamped us. Legally binding, tent... Legal contract, legal binding contract took place here. The blood was applied. I sealed it with the Holy Spirit of God. It is a legally binding transaction that cannot be altered. And on top of that, I'm going to put earnest money down on it and uh, I won't walk away from it. It's for you so you can sleep at night. It's for you so when you find yourself in sin, you can have some peace when you deal with it. And know that he's not left you nor forsaken you. It is for us. It's for us. Yeah. So watch this. Just like God made a covenant with Abraham between himself. Right? It wasn't for Abraham. It was between himself. God's covenant for us is between himself as well. Man is not involved in this contract. The seal is the Holy Spirit. And the earnest is the Holy Spirit. God is the seal. God is the earnest. I like that. How does it bring assurance? When you put earnest money down, we've already said it, and you walk away, you lose your earnest. The seller gets the money. Yeah. Do you know there are three things that can never happen? God can never lose the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. God, what, what's, oh, well, wow, oh, great, the Holy Spirit is... Somebody took him. <laughs> He's gone. You know, he can't lose him. God, wait, God would never allow Satan to get him. I mean, that's just ridiculous. We can't even think that way. It's so, it's so ridiculous. And, and we know that God would never leave us. Hold on a minute. Do you, do you realize that if God were to lose the earnest money, wouldn't it mean that Satan would get it? 
Now hold on a minute. How's that possible? Satan's like, oh, I got the I got the Holy Spirit now. This is great. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It can't happen. Hey, this is how secure your salvation is. It can't happen. Satan will never get the earnest. Number one, God's never walking away. <laughs> Amen. What did he put? He put something of great value down himself for what? A worm. A nothing. He put, a, he put himself, the, 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 the pendulum is swinging from something from the most, the, the, the greatest value to something from, to the least value that he put down on. He's not walking away from it. You're secure tonight. He's not leaving. Satan isn't getting the Holy Spirit. He's not walking away from it. He's not at all. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You might make a note of Hebrews 13, 5. Every time I read this, I can't get past this. Covetousness is linked to your trust in God. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake thee. Covetousness and contentment are linked linked to our security that we have in Christ. He says, I'm not going anywhere. Trust me. Trust me. Let me show you one more thing. Verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit which is also the earnest down payment. How long? How long are we sealed? It says it right there in verse 14, until the redemption of the purchased possession. When's that? When does God get His purchased possession? Before or after we die? After. Wait. If we are sealed... Into the day of redemption, we can't lose it. God's not walking away from it. You'd have to give the earnest up. That's, that, that's an impossibility. Yeah. And he just wouldn't do it in the first. In, 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 uh, lastly, he just wouldn't do it. He's not going to do it. Why? Because he can't lie. He says, I've given to them eternal life. Eternal life. Yeah. You can't take back earnest money, and God doesn't take back his Holy Spirit. Our, watch this, our, our salvation, our inheritance is as secure as the Godhead is inseparable. You can't separate the Godhead. My, I and my Father are one. You're not going to separate them. They're God. And our inheritance is as secure as the Godhead is inseparable the security of the believer all of this is what we have in Christ it's all in Jesus our position our purpose our purchase our paternity our our promise and then here tonight the proof of it God says not for me for you I'm going to give you proof of it my indwelling spirit and it will be there until you die doesn't feel like he's there he's there no he's there you've built a wall maybe of sin but he's there he hasn't gone anywhere He's given us a proof. The moment you believe the gospel, the third person of the Godhead invaded your body and will be there 
until you die. He's not going anywhere. He leads us. He convicts us. He encourages us. When we disobey, he, we quench him and we grieve him. If he could leave, why would he quench in grief? Just leave. <laughs> but he can't leave, which is why he, we, he can be grieved and why he can be quenched. That's why he convicts, because he's holy. And God's a pure eyes and to, be, to, to behold sin and can't not look upon evil, it says over in Habakkuk. So can't, because he's holy and he can't leave, he convicts yeah. our security in Christ. I love it. Yeah. Are you in Christ tonight? Amen. Amen. Maybe somebody's watching online tonight and they're not in Christ. Yeah. If you would come to the Lord Jesus, God himself would move in the blood of the Lord Jesus would wash away every sin. Past, present, and future. Legally, you'd be righteous before God. You would have the record of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, His record is what? What, was it, what is His record? That He was never even a sinner. Not that He never sinned, but that He was never even a sinner. That would be your record tonight. And the Holy Spirit of God would make that dead spirit of yours alive again. And you would be having that at that very moment, immediately, you would have eternal life. Do you see this in verse 13? Also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Pretty instantaneous, it looks like. After that you believed and were baptized? Nope. After that you believed and gave your W-2s so they could figure out how much you could tithe? Nope. Oh, that was a... They'll, they'll figure that one out. No, there was... You know, after you believed and did fill in the blank? No. After you believed and received, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. Till when? The day of redemption. Till you die. Yeah. You ever wondered if you send God away? Come on, friend. We, we've been in dark times in life, and, and Satan gets a hold sometimes, and you think, is he still there? Yeah. If you're in Christ, yeah, he's still there. Absolutely. You know what that means? Wait, wait, wait. What that means is whatever has caused the distance, the, the blood of Jesus that purchased you in the first place is still available to take care of whatever's built the wall between you. And you can be back in fellowship again because he hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't gone anywhere. So what do we do tonight? Launch out and... Trust Him. Yeah. Just trust Him. What's the worst thing that could happen? You go be with Him? Oh, I know. I, 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 I mean, I don't want to be burned at the stake or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, Christians don't seek out martyrdom. God never tells us to seek it out or things like that, right? I don't, I mean, you read some of these books. Yeah, I don't want that. But really, at the end of it all, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. I might go broke. You might go broke anyway. I, I, I might, you know, you know, have a door shut on my face. There's worse than that going on out there. Right. Just trust Him. Trust
trust Him tonight. Where you at, wherever you are tonight, I pray God would help us to have the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that He'll never leave us, that we're sealed by the Spirit of God. The earnest has been paid. He is not leaving us. And He can be trusted. Whatever God has been working in your heart for this year, maybe He's given you a new theme this year. Maybe He's given you a word that this year that... that uh, you, you want to focus on for the year. Maybe there's something he's put in front of you. Maybe he's, there's a family member. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's somebody that God has put on your heart that needs the gospel and there's some fear and trepidation. Listen, trust him. Trust him. He won't leave you. He'll help you. Whatever God's doing in your life tonight, trust him. Our Father, I think those words, trust him, can become... rather dull. We hear it all the time. Just trust God. Just trust God. But it's really huge. We trust all sorts of things. We trust our own understanding. We trust our own ability. We trust our own health and, and, and uh, in, in uh, mental capabilities and all of these things. We have all sorts of things that we put our trust in. What a, what a tragedy that sometimes you're the last thing that we come to trust when we come to places in life. Father, I thank you for the assurance. What a wonderful chapter. We're in Christ tonight. Those that have been born again, we're in Christ. And nothing can change that. If God be for us, who can be against us? And we thank you for that truth here tonight. And Lord, would you just encourage those? There may be some listening online and Lord, I don't know. Maybe they're from a background that they've been taught their whole life that you, they could lose it and they're trying to please you and they're trying to keep it and they're running themselves into the ground. And, and God, may they just be free tonight from that bondage. And may they realize tonight that they, if they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that, uh, the, that it is uh, in earnest has been put down and they've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption and it can't, they cannot lose it. Would you comfort them in that tonight? Whatever the needs are here tonight, would you supply those needs? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand tonight. The invitation, it's open. However the Lord has spoken to you tonight. While the instrument plays. However God has spoken to you. Whatever your need is. If God would go through this much detail, as we said this morning. This much meticulous detail. To bring us in to Christ. How much can it be trusted for what you need tonight? We have an inheritance tonight that is legally binding. And God bound himself to it. Hmm. How many are happy to be secure in Christ tonight? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. What a good day today.
pray for those that weren't able to be here and uh, Lord heal their bodies quickly and uh, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. Brother Neil, would you uh, close us in prayer tonight?